Hello, everyone, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. I hope everyone's having a great start to the week. Um, it's the middle of the week now, which is nice. So um, that weekend is is close. It's coming. Um, I hope everyone's, you know, doing well, um, had a good week. It's, um, you know, things have been kind of interesting in the sports world right now. Uh, kind of an interesting time, especially with, you know, everything that has gone on the last couple of years to just kind of looking at everything now, but um, hope everyone's yeah doing well. I'm excited to um, have a special guest with me um, today, two time world series champion with uh, the Red Sox, Stephen Wright. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. That's good. Yeah. We were yeah. just talking about uh, the cold weather and the snow, but um, it's has not been fun. There's been an, you know, a good amount of snow so far here, but so far overall, it's been kind of a tame winter. Fingers crossed that it stays like that. Yeah, here it's been nice and snowy, so we enjoy it because we get a sled, but then it, now it's all melted, so we don't get it. It doesn't stay like it does in the Northeast, but when we get it, we enjoy it, but now it's time for it to move on. <laughs> yeah, I've never been – I've never done skiing or anything like that either, so I'm just not really yeah. – there's not much in the winter that really appeals to me. Yeah, me neither. I uh, I grew up in Southern California. We had to go to the snow, and so I never really did, but here, you know, we get – we get to go sledding and stuff, so it's fun for the kids. Uh, they and plus they got out of school because out here everything shuts down when it snows. <laughs> yeah, no, that I remember. I remember I used to love snow days growing up. They were yeah. the best. When I woke up one morning thinking I had to go to school and then found out school was canceled, that was yeah. the best feeling ever. Yeah, it's like vacation. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah, that's fun though. I mean, yeah, winter. When you say California, I mean it's funny because I had a couple friends from college that were from California like southern california and they don't ever get snow there so then yeah. they they came to college and the first time they ever saw snow was there and they got so excited about it and i said you won't be excited about it in about yeah, yeah. give it a week <laughs> <laughs> we'll be so over it like yeah, the rest of us for sure <laughs> but yeah no, i appreciate you joining me on the show um yeah i think you know there's definitely a lot that we can talk about, I mean, baseball obviously is not really going on right now, but um, that which is kind of sad, but yeah. What can we just kind of start off by just kind of talking a little bit about your baseball journey, kind of, you know, how you fell in love with the game and how you ended up going all the way to the major league level. Oh uh, yeah. I started when I was about nine, nine or 10. I had a, my great grandfather at the time was a big uh, high school baseball coach for Lakewood high school and uh, out in LA um, and then, my, you know, I had an older cousin that played. And so just being around, it just kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, over the time, like I just played, you know, rec ball, pony ball um, out in Moreno Valley. And then when I was like 12 or 13, I ended up doing one tournament um, actually in Minnesota. And then that's where I was like, wow, like, you know, if I, I'm, not, I'm not bad. Like I can, you know, obviously I wasn't the best, but I could tell like I was able to compete with my age group from people around the country. And then that's where I really started to fall in love with like, you know, working out and, and working on, you know, pitching and hitting, uh, catching, like whatever I did, I just worked out hard. And I was blessed that I had coaches around me that, you know, either played pro ball, played in the big leagues, have been around the game for a long time. So they just poured all their knowledge into, you know, into me and then my teammates. And so that kind of, because like, I was getting proper instructions and I was seeing the fruits of my labor, every time I went out and played against higher competition, I just kept going. And then, you know, obviously getting into high school, um, you know, I getting drafted out of high school was awesome. I mean, I didn't sign, but it was, it was exciting because I'm like, man, like if maybe if I work a little bit harder, maybe get a little bit better, I'll be able to actually fulfill my dream of being a professional baseball player. So I ended up going to college um, and went to university of Hawaii. And then that's, 
I would say my freshman year was okay. My sophomore year is where I was like, all right, I know I can pitch at least, but give myself an opportunity to get seen, to get drafted. Uh, and then I went out to the Cape Cod League, and that's where I really was like, wow, I was like, I, I think I could do this. Like, I think I can at least put myself in a position to continue to, to pursue, you know, a chance of making it to the big leagues and then, you know, getting drafted and all that and kind of just – you know, I just kept going and kept going, knowing that, like, you know, I love the game so much that I didn't want to just give up. But, you know, so it's just, you know, there's a lot of roads that that led to me getting an opportunity to play in the big leagues. But I think everything that has happened along my career and my life, both on and off the field, has made me a better person on the inside, which in return can help me make it be a better you know, teammate, a better husband, a better father. And then I think all that kind of correlates into being, you know, consistent, you know, and like, and that's what baseball is, is you got to be consistent. It's not about who's better on one day. It's who's better on a season and then on two seasons and three seasons and doing it consistently year in and year out. And those are the guys that make a career out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, you have to have that work ethic and that determination to want to do it because that's, I feel like the biggest part is, you know, not somebody could have the skill to be able to do it, but not everybody has that mental capacity to be able to, you know, sustain it and continue to do it to get to that level. And I do feel like that's why a lot of people don't make it there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's because you're going to have trial and error. I mean, you got so many people that you know, kids, right. That their whole lives, like they just been better than everybody. Right. Like they just, you know, no matter where they grew up, like they're just better. Right. They're everybody's better. They're always succeeding. They're always winning or they're always, you know, told like, Hey, you're good. You're great. You know, you're doing a good job, you know, whether it's, you know, just giving them something or even if they earn it, it doesn't matter because once you get to a certain level, everybody's good. Right. So what's the separating factor between, you know, in my opinion, I think it's like double A, right, for pro ball. Like once you get to double A, everybody's good or at least 90 percent of the guys there are good enough to play in the big leagues. It's the question is, is what separates the guys that make it and the guys that don't. And one of them is consistency, but it's that will. It's like you're going to have bad weeks. You know, hitters are going to have bad weeks. Pitchers are going to have bad months. You know, for like a starting pitcher, you can have three or four bad outings in a row. That's a month. Right. And so it's like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to get out of that? How are you going to stay consistent? And the guys that I've seen, you know, obviously playing in Boston, it was great because I got to play against some unbelievable future Hall of Famers, in my opinion. And it's like you couldn't tell if they were had a bad start the day before or a good start because the routine always stays the same. They're always trying to get better, whether they have a good outing or a bad outing. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You got to turn the page and keep moving on, moving on. If you sit here and you dwell, whether good or bad on what you just did, well, it doesn't matter. It's over. You can't go back in time. Like, but if you let that, you got to learn from the good and the bad, and then you just got to move forward in that. If you can mentally prepare to get past the struggles and even the successes, because you don't want to be too high and too low. It's 162 games. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing too, is it's such a long season that, you know, what are some of the challenges with kind of maintaining that mindset of, yeah, I just need to keep going because it's, it's so, it's so long. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of challenges. I think a lot of it, you know, obviously you have the physical part, um, you know, but I think, you know, with science now and with the training staffs that we have and the technology and the, and I think all that is great because there are ways to, to learn how to, you know, it's not just, I'm just going to lift a bunch. I'm not just going to run. I'm like, there's ways to kind of get a, in a good routine based off of 
your, um, your workload. Um, so there are ways to help your body physically, but it's, it's all mental. Honestly, like it is all mental because even when you, you got to, because the thing is, I guess for a pitcher, right? I can't speak too much on position players because I was never a position player, but as a pitcher is like, nobody knows whether I feel good or not. I do, but they don't. And so it's sometimes like my saying is you got to fake it till you make it right. Sometimes you just got to grind through it and you got to figure out how to get through, right? Because the hitter doesn't know whether I feel good or not. And like, I don't know if they feel good or not. And I was like, but I got to, I got to keep my mentality of saying that I got the best stuff every day. Right. And then you just got to figure it out. You can't, you're going to get hit around, but it's it's minimizing the big innings. It's minimizing your walks. So even if you're going to, if I'm going to give up runs, in my opinion, I'd rather just give up hits because there is a chance that they could hit a freaking linea and it's going to get caught. You can't defend a walk, right? Like there's nothing you can do. Like the, the players or the uh, position players are useless if you're walking guys. And so, but with all that being said, if you're going to get through these trial, like the, 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 the downs is you got to just, you got to, you can't change and you can't do more work because you're struggling just like if you're doing good, you don't do less work. You got to stay consistent. And you got to have a routine. You got to find out what that routine is, and you got to stick to it as close as possible, knowing that you know. And it's going to change too, because depending on the season, right? At yeah. the beginning of the season is going to be different than the middle of the season versus the end of the season. But you got to find something, and that's where, like for me, I always would watch and lean on some of the guys that done it for 10, 12 years, right? It's like, how do they get through it? I mean, I want to do what they're doing. They're twelve years in. I'm four years in. I want to get to 12 years, right? So I want to find out. And you just kind of pick and choose from different people. But in the end, you got to figure out what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Because everybody's different and not not one thing isn't going to work for everybody. So it's about kind of finding your own rhythm and your own way of doing things to be able to sustain yeah. that. And then if you like you said, if you do have a bad outing, you can't just dwell on that or worry about it. It's just, OK, that game is in the past. Now on to the next one. Exactly. Because if you, you know, because it's just going to mentally or not, if you're not going to be able to move forward, if you're still super worried about your last outing, because there's so many more games where you can make up for that. Absolutely. There's a lot of season left. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the thing about baseball. I love baseball because it's a long season and I love being able to watch games every night for a good majority of the year, yeah. but it's gotta be tough, you know, for players to be able to really just um, sustain that mindset of, you know, I can do this and, and I've got this. And I think that that's why, you know, we see a lot of players just not work out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad, but I mean, that's why guys like Mookie and, and Trout and JD and Bogey and, you know, guys that can do it every single day. I mean, that's, that's tough. Like to be able to do that year in and year out, that's, that's hard. That's hard on the body. Like you can be in the best shape of your life, but that's still, that's a lot of workload, you know, but I know like playing, you know, seeing Bogey, you know, especially playing with him since he started in 13, it's just, you know, his routine has changed, right? Like, and, and, and because he's gotten smarter, it's work smarter, not harder. Right. Is you got to know the days to back off and you got to know, like, too, like if you're in the game, like, you know, if we're getting our butts kicked, like you're not going to freaking sprint as hard as you can down the first baseline, because it's like, listen, like, even though you want to get that extra hit or, you know, maybe you don't want to turn that single into a double. Right. Because it's you're down a bunch. Like those are the times that you got to figure out, OK, when do I need to get it and when do I don't need to get it? When do I need to dive? When do I don't need to dive? Because at the end of the day, every time you fall down whether it's a dive, a slide, or you're running, like all that is a, is 
putting stress on your body. Right. Yeah. And so there are times that you're going to have to do that. But at the end of the day, if you're an outfielder and we're down by eight runs, even if I'm the pitcher, like, yeah, I want him to catch it, but I don't want him to run into a wall to catch a ball that a guy hit 410 feet off me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like, yeah, I, like, yeah I'm upset because he didn't catch it, but I'm more upset the fact that I gave up a freaking waffle ball to the wall. And it's like, that's my fault. That's not his for not catching it. You know? Yeah, it's I see true. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, catch the routine, you know, all the routine stuff. Yeah, you want to do that 100% of the time. But all of a sudden, it's like the game's going to dictate on how hard you're really going to go after something based off of just the game. Like, you got to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, like you don't want to see people like JBJ just like smashing into a wall in like an eight to one game or something yeah, like in not. the late innings and risking getting himself injured just to make that catch. Yeah, because we're going to need, you know, guys like Jackie and Mookie and these guys that, you know, especially, you know, those years that I was in Boston. It's like, you know, as great as I want them to make that, that catch in May, we need them to make that catch in October a lot more than we need them to catch it in May. Right. Yeah. So if they all of a sudden, you know, run into a wall and they tweak their back or they tweak something, it's like, yeah, they probably can still play, but are they going to be able to sustain the rest of the season nursing a back? So now we might lose them for 10 days or 15 days. It's like, well, I don't want that for the team. Like that doesn't make sense for the team. For me, it's a selfish thing saying, yeah, I want them to catch it. But it's like, you can't think selfishly. You got to think about the team in a whole, because if the team wins, we get paid. Yeah. That's that's simple as it is. I mean, if teams that win, because that means you're going to win and that means you're gaining experience and some teams pay for experience. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's such a good way of putting it, too. And at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to see any of those key players getting injured, you know, because you need them later on in the season. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, right? Yeah, like The definitely. last thing you want to see, because you don't know, like, you know, what happens if Ben Attendee breaks his wrist? We yeah. He doesn't become Ben Attendee that he is now. If he's yeah, a rookie and he's sure. trying to run into a wall, next thing you know, it dislocates his shoulder. It's like, what's the point of that? Right. Yeah. So like, you got to think of the future too. It's not, it's not always about right now. It's about in the future for them selfishly, but then as collectively as a team as well. Yeah. I'm still thinking back to that, that diving catch he made against the Astros and that's oh, the fact that he dove for that as a rookie, like that. So, I, I mean, he's got, that's some guts. Like, because, I mean, if you think about it, like, that's when I knew he was going to be a good player because, I mean, there's a lot of guys that wouldn't take that risk. The fact that he didn't hesitate and he just did it, and it, obviously it, it worked out. But, you know, it's like you just – you hope and pray that stuff like that always works out because you don't know what the mental capacity is of a guy if he misses that and we lose the game and next thing you know we're down, right? Yeah. Uh, I think Benetton would have been fine. But the fact that he made that decision to dive and didn't hesitate, I mean, just shows that he is a he is a gamer and that's who you want behind you. Yeah, no, not even not even hesitating at all, just went for it. And he said, I, you know, I can make this catch for my team right now. And it was it was obviously such a key catch. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it, it, that changed yeah. the whole complexity of that series. Yeah, it did. It did. The momentum that 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 I'm looking back at was like the momentum shift in the entire series. right Yeah. Now. That and then the ball in right field when Mookie jumped up and the glove hit. The fact that yeah. Joe West made that call and it was right. I mean, I'm st I still tell people I was like, I, I obviously it, it helped us out, but it's the right call because that's what people don't understand. If is if if the if the player goes into the stands, then it doesn't matter. 
But the fact that when Mookie got to the wall, he went straight up and then the fan came and hit his glove, that's interference. And the fact that it, w- it takes a guy like Joe West to make that call, and I know a lot of people don't like Joe West. I don't know him. But it takes somebody with, with his – I don't even know what the right word to say – his confidence to make that call because it's right. And he knew he was going to get – in Houston, he knew he was going to get crushed. But when you do the replay, it's the right call. And that's the thing is it, that's where replay is great, right, is because you got these fans that are – everybody's trying to get closer and closer to the state, to the field – but that's where replay is amazing because they can go back and look and be like, no, it's the right call. Yeah. And the more you looked at it at first, people didn't, weren't agreeing with the call, but then the more you looked at it, the more you kind of realized that it was correct. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's a tough pill to swallow as a, as a Houston fan, right? Like you don't want to swallow yeah. that. If I was, if it was the opposite, I'd be pissed too. Oh, yeah, it would be. I'd be really angry. It's the right call. You know, it's like, what are you going to do at the end of the day? It's like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody can, can, you know, change the outcome or say it wasn't right because that just is what it is. But yeah, if I was an an Astros fan, I would be really, I tell everybody get mad at Mookie for being such a great athlete. (laughs) I know. I love Mookie. Yeah. I was so sad. Um, I was so sad when Mookie got traded. Oh man. Yeah. That's tough. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, look at the money that he got. He's in, in the opportunity that he has. I mean, he's got he's in an organization right now that is it's the West Coast Boston Red Sox, right? Like the Dodgers right now are they're the team to beat. Like, I mean, the Mets are making a run at it for sure, which you know, with the signings that they have, but they still got to put it all together. Like the Dodgers got it put together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Mookie goes to L.A. and just immediately wins another World Series. Yeah, I mean, and they're going to be in contention every year. And that's for somebody of his caliber. Like, you know, it's not always about the money. It's about winning. Right. Like they want to win because once you get to a certain like like uh, bank account, so to say, like once you get to a certain amount of money, like what's an extra four or 5 million when you've already got 300, right? It's, but they would rather, there's a lot of guys that I know that once they make a certain amount of money, it's like, well, now it's about winning. Like, I just want to win. Right. So if I can get paid and win, Hey, that's great. Right. Like I get an organization, but that doesn't happen for a lot of people. So a lot of guys just want to go to an organization like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the the Dodgers, the Giants, where they know that there's going to be a chance every single year that they're going to make a push for the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. Cause if they want to win and they're in one of those organizations, they know that, you know, they're going to be on a team that's going to be competitive and has a chance at it every year, every year, you know, and that's why those teams are always there because they're the owners are not afraid to go out and spend money to go out there and win. And you have some other organizations that they don't care about winning. They care about just, making money, getting TV contracts and doing all this to help themselves. And all of a sudden they're not spending nothing on the players. They're not being competitive. They're not even making an attempt to be competitive. So you're basically can write in, you know, if there's eight teams, you can basically write in six every single year. You're always going to have, you know, a couple sleepers that are going to, you know, come in, which is fine because at the end of the day, they're big league baseball players, right? It doesn't matter if they're rookies or if they're veterans, they're all good enough but at the end of the day, like you look at these organizations and there's organizations that they'll never win because they don't care. Like, I don't care what they say. Like actions speak louder than words. 
if they care, they would go out and they would pay the money to get the players. They would to go out there and be competitive. But there's teams out there. They rather get draft picks. They rather have a great minor league system. And they don't care if I mean they care enough to where they're like, yeah, well, we want to definitely not embarrass ourselves. But I don't even think they care about that. Yeah. I mean about it. Yeah, I mean, some teams it, it, it's I think about it and I'm like, well, what what's their path? What direction are they trying to go in? I mean, even Baltimore is one of those teams. I'm just like, what are they trying to do exactly? They're rebuilding, yeah. restructuring. <laughs> yeah, rebuilding five years, six years, seven years. Yeah. Like, how long do you need to restructure? When That's you've got what I mean. Yeah. Out there that are, they can't get jobs because they don't want to pay for what this guy that has seven, eight, nine years in the league, they don't want to pay that. They'd rather pay a, a rookie that has, that might be good. He might be really good, but he doesn't have the experience. How is that guy going to lead? Because all he's worried about is himself to get paid. When you get somebody that can bring these guys under their wing and teach them how to do the day-to-day activities, how to w- handle success, failure, the travel, the life, the day-to-day ins and outs of playing a major league baseball season, but they don't care. Like they care about algorithms. They care about spin rate. They care about launch angle. They care about all this. They don't care about what you've done in the past. They care about what your Rapsodo numbers are, what your Hawkeye numbers are, which all your TrackMan numbers are. That's where their game's going. That's where they all, everybody is scouting off of electronics. They're, they're forgetting that you still got to get guys out. Yeah. What your rap soto numbers are. If you can't get guys out, how the hell is that gonna help the team win? Yeah, it's not. It's not. That's who that's who's running the games now. It's the people, it's the guys that know how to do read the numbers. Those are the guys that are running the teams. You're seeing these pitching coaches and all these front office people that are firing coaching staffs, but you don't see nobody from the analytical department getting fired. They're the ones yeah. making the lineups. They're the ones that are running the show because of somebody's rap soto numbers or their Hawkeye numbers or their gyros not gyroing enough. It's like Yeah, I feel like too much is about analytics. And it's it's I mean, there's a lot of decisions that are made based solely on that. And I feel like that's just being that's detrimental to the game of baseball. I agree. I think it's great. I really do like, you know, because I was out a year and then I would play last year. And so that was my first experience with all this technology. And I think it's fantastic, but it's just too much at times. You know, we're worrying about, you know, a guy's spin rate when it's like this guy's sitting here throwing a 50 pitch bullpen in between. And I was like, and, and you're caring more about his spin rate velocity, his gyro, his access and all this stuff, but he's throwing 98 down the middle of the damn plate. Oh, but his spin rate's good. His gyro's good. The location sucks. The fact yeah. that everything is about spin, every and that's where you get to the to the sticky stuff, right? Is because that's where the game took it. Because it's just like anything else. Everybody was worried about spin rate. They're worried about all these other things that this you know Rap Soto and Hawkeye and all this stuff can do. To where they're like, well, I got to figure out a way to separate myself, right? So it's like if I can get an extra two hundred and fifty RPMs on my curveball or my fastball, well, how do you get that naturally, right? It's just like steroids. How do you gain an extra 15 feet? You know, your body can only get so strong, so you got to supplement that. And it's the same thing with the spin rate. All of a sudden, these guys are like, well, crap, like my spin rate is not improving, right? So, well, let me try a little uh, pine tar. 
Well, then they get a little bit. Well, shoot, now we've got spider tack or you got all these other things that now all of a sudden you're like, crap, like it don't matter if they can't throw it for a strike. It's got good spin rate and it's got good access. So therefore, I'm better than everybody else. But then you look at guys like a Josh Tomlin who just goes up there and he just pitches. You know, he in, out, up, down, sinks it, cuts it, you know, goes forward and back. But if you look at his, you know, I don't know what his rap soda numbers are, but they're not going to be nothing like some of these other guys. But yet this guy goes out there and he grinds out and he wins. So it's like at the end of the day, but he's a veteran. He costs too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, that's such a good point too. And it, there's there's just so many teams that have that mindset, I feel like. And if you have that mindset, you're not going to win anything. No, you're not. I mean, it, you know, the I would say the best teams right now that are able to utilize, in my opinion, that are able to utilize the data – and then how to coach and, and recruit or scout recruits more college, but is, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, like, yeah, they're, like, Rays. They're, like they're really good at that. I don't know anybody in the organization, but like, I remember like kind of like, wow, these guys are stupid, right? Like, what are they doing? Yeah. But it's, working. How are they this I, it's working. Like I, they, they figured out, that they know how to invest the money that they need to invest in the players, but in the personnel and the data and the people that know how to take the data and to transport it and to, in I guess, nice words, dumb it down to how it's going to affect the players to play better versus just saying, we need to get your gyro here. We need to do this. Right. So they learn how to coach and to teach and to pitch and hit and all these other things. And the other one is the Giants. Like, I know Brian Bannister's over there, and he, in my opinion, he's one of the best pitching coaches as far as taking data and teaching what the data means and how it affects me personally on how I can get better from the data, not just saying, here's the data, here's the numbers. Because at the end of the day, I throw knuckleballs, right? Like, spin rate is nothing for me, right? But there are data out there that I can use to help me be consistent because at the end of the day, it's all feel, but yeah. So yeah, but you're right. Like it's the data is great, but it's what you do with that data is what's going to separate you. And right now those are the two teams that are doing the best in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the Rays seem to have figured out a pretty good balance of everything because that is a team that if you looked at that team on paper, they had would have had no business being in the world series in 2020. No, no, literally at all. But the players that they had, I mean, that I I was just amazed that they made that work. Really, the only thing they screwed up is taking out Blake Snell. Yeah, I know that was so that was that that was so bad. I, I had I I your Cy Young Award winner, your ace, and he had like fifteen punch outs in five innings against those players. One that hit, were up one hit or two hit. hits, or whatever it was. Oh, no, no, no. The numbers say we need to go yeah. with our bullpen. It's like, dude, the Dodgers were just licking their chops saying, thank you. Yeah, like, seriously, I don't care if you bring in a lefty throwing 100. I don't care. Like, it's not snail. <laughs> yeah, really, that's what ended it because the, the Dodgers were probably so relieved to not see him on the mound anymore. But had yeah. he stayed in, he was looking really good, and I think the Rays had a really good chance of winning that game. You, if, that's, if that's the one problem with – the numbers and the algorithms and all these geeks that are up in the stairs that never played baseball in their life, but they're sitting here trying to tell baseball players how to be a baseball player when they can't even throw a baseball. 
right? Because yeah. they're doing it off of the numbers, right? And I think that they have a huge, they're a huge asset, but in situations like that, they become a liability because now all of a sudden you're t- it, it, it has to be a game time decision. And that's one thing I love about Alex Cora. Alex Cora okay, is a guy that he understands all of the data. He's got a great crew behind him, and he himself understands that all that data has a, a purpose, right? But at the end of the day, it's about baseball. So, like, it's gut feelings. It's having that gut and sticking to that gut and not being afraid to make that decision regardless of what the data says. You know, and that's the managers that he's going to – he's going to be a Hall of Fame manager, in my opinion – because he is a he understands that he's going to take care of his players. He's going to sit out guys like if he's got a time where I remember one time, I think it was either Mookie or JD, and it was like Mar- uh, it was probably like early in the season, like May, middle of May, right? But he had played like every day, right? And so they gave him a day off. And perfect opportunity, like when Alex Cora says you got a day off as a position player, you got a day off. That's it. You got a day off, right? Like you can't say, Hey, you got a day off and then you got to pinch hit in the seventh inning. Right. Like some circumstances are going to change that. But if he says you got a day off, you got to shut the run off. Like you it's cause it's a long season. We need him more in September and October than we do in May. Right. And so there was a situation and I can't remember who we were playing. I can't remember that, but I remember like he said he had a day off. Game came up to the later in the inning where it was like, or later in the game where it was like perfect opportunity for that guy to pinch hit first and third, two outs or whatever the situation was. He's got the day off. So they pinched hit somebody else who's not them and he got out and everybody's howling. And I'm like, oh, why didn't you pitch it as a perfect opportunity? No. When I tell a guy he's got a day off, he's got a day off, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you can't expect you know, people to come in and pinch hit on a day off. And he's the type of manager that if you're in the big leagues with him, it doesn't matter if you got a day in the league or you're JD or David Ortiz. Like he he's gonna treat you like, hey, you're an asset. Like you're you're part of this team. You're gonna help us win. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got a role, and that role is to help the team win. And their job as coaches is to prepare the player to go out there, just like my job as a player is to prepare myself physically and mentally. And they're going to do the same thing. And then it's a team. It's collective. That's why I think Boston's going to have – they're going to have some good years coming up, I think, personally. I mean, based on 2021, when they surprised everybody, and that was the team that nobody thought was even going to be a playoff team. So that gets me really excited for, you know, the next few years and just kind of what they have coming up, you know, um, even in the farm system. Um, they have some good prospects down there too now. That's so awesome. I think, you know, I think they're in good shape. And I mean, I think Alex Cora is a big part of that. I'm sure you can, um, you know, probably um, agree on this, that, you know, I feel like the manager, it makes a big difference. And I, I can kind of tell just from watching it that these players really respect Alex Cora and really enjoy playing for him. And he's been described as a player's coach a lot of times. Like how do you feel like um, he, that kind of separates him from other managers? I mean, I do. I think so. I mean, because I, I mean, I remember one of my favorite minor league coaches that I ever played for um, is this guy named Chris Tremmy. And Tremmy was everybody was like, oh, he's a player's coach. He's a player's coach. Like and in the minor leagues, it's tough because there's only so much you can do as a coach. 
because you're being told who to play, right? Like you got to play your prospects. You got to give these guys days off. Like, but he protected the players, you know, and that's the thing you got to understand. Like when you're talking about a player's coach, what is, what is the definition of a player's coach, right? It's a guy that puts his players in front of him, right? It's not about him. It's about the players. And sometimes you get it reversed to where it's more about the coach and about him succeeding. And it's all about him. It's all about him getting the accolades. It's him going out there. Alex Cora was one of the best second baseman, middle infielders to play the game. He did it as a player. He's done it as a coach. So, like, what does he have to prove, right? The only way for him to succeed in his job to get accolades for him is if the players succeed, right? And he remembers what it's like to be a player. He knows the struggle. He knows the grind both on and off the field of what's going on. Like if you got something going on off the field, like, and you let him know, like he's going to protect you. He's going to do whatever he can because that is going to benefit the team. And if it benefits the team, it's going to benefit him. Right. And he's not selfish. He's not thinking like that. Right. Like he's not thinking, Oh, if I take care of these then I'm going to get taken care of, that's not his mentality, but that's how it works. So that is a player's coach It's a coach that puts his players in front of him and he's going to do everything he can to protect his players. And if the players know that, the players are going to do everything they can to protect him. And the way you protect a coach is to win. That's the only way because the first person to go is the manager. Oh. Yeah. And that's a player's coach. And that's Alex Cora in a nutshell. If there's a definition, his picture's next to it. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I could just tell that even just from watching games, just how much these players really, really respect and love Alex Cora. And I feel like that's just so important having that player manager relationship, especially because going back to the long season thing, you know, you need to be able to trust your manager and, and respect your manager and vice versa. And I feel like that really can impact the team chemistry. That is a, obviously a huge part of winning as well. Totally. And he makes it fun. I mean, he makes it yeah. he, he makes it enjoyable because it is a long season and he puts family first. You know, he cares more about family than any manager that I've ever played for. Like that's his I mean, and that's that shows that like that is what's if that's what's important to him. That's what's important to me. That makes me love him even more, because if I come to him one day and I'm like, hey, man, my daughter, or my son or whatever is having a hard day. It's like, well, go be with them. And then come back. Let me know when you're ready, right? Or let me know what's going on. He asked, dude, I still text him, like, not often, but he texts me back, right? Like, no other manager would do that. I haven't played for him in three years. Yeah. But that's the, that just shows the type of person that he is. And that's why guys should want to go play for him. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously playing in Boston must be such a fun atmosphere, too. And Fenway Park, you know, there's so much history there. And so I feel like there's just a lot of good things about playing in a city like Boston. I mean, I love Boston. I mean, it's hard. I mean, when you're going good, like it's the best city. When you're going bad, they let you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not that you need to be reminded, but, you know, but, you know, I think that's what makes Boston so much different and so much, you know, it's so much more excitement about playing in Boston. It is tough to play. But one thing I loved is the fact that it didn't matter if we were in last place or first place. When you played at Fenway Park, there, you, there's no way you can't get amped. It doesn't matter if it's 20 degrees or 110 degrees. 
Like, it doesn't matter. When you're in Fenway Park with the crowds and the passion that everybody has, like, it's it's very easy just to get psyched up, right? And then you go to some like Oakland, you're like, crap, like, this place sucks, right? But it's like with Boston, it's like, it doesn't matter. Everywhere you go in, in Boston, it's like, you know that you have a chance to win. You're going to have a great fans. Um, you know, obviously if you, you know, I had some off the field stuff that sucked and they let me know, but at the end of the day, like they forgive too, you yeah. know, there's some people that are, you know, that get gung ho, but usually those are the people that are living in their mama's basement. They're trying to do a blog that think that all, oh, they know everything about sports. It's like, you know, you don't know nothing. Yeah. Like, you just know what you're told and what you read, but and then all these people on social media that, that thing. Yeah, that I mean, know. I don't even look at that no more because it's like you read some of the stuff. And it's like you don't even – they just read the titles. Yeah. They don't read nothing else. And it's like they read the title, oh, he's a bad guy. It's like you don't even know what the hell happened. And I was yeah, like, you were well, there. it's your damn business what happened. And, and it's like I don't have <laughs> to explain myself to somebody I don't even know. <laughs> well, that is, that is so freaking Joe Blow that on really... Twitter. It's in his mama's basement and he's 38 years old and he's never had a job. He's still in his freaking mama's sweatpants. And it's like, you expect me to sit here and defend myself against that guy? Like, no. But that's what I love about Boston is because most people know that guy. You know, it's like nobody, like when I talk to the media, so I still talk to some of the media guys, like just texts here and there because it's like, you know, even though some, and I always told the media, I said, listen, if I suck, just write it. I know I suck. Like, it doesn't matter. And I was like, but don't throw me under the bus, right? Like, don't, you don't got to drag it on and throw salt on the wound. Like, I sucked. I get it. Like, but, you know, it's like, it is what it is. But that's what makes Boston so much different than any other organization is that they just, everybody cares so much about winning. It's like when it's summertime, it's all about the Red Sox. When it's wintertime, it's all about the Patriots and then the Celtics and then the, uh, the Bruins, like it's all, it's like, it's all in on those sports for the seasons. And that's just what makes it so fascinating as a city in a whole, because it's really not a big city. In my opinion, it's not a big city, but it has that big city feel because of the passion behind everything. Yeah. I was going to say the Boston sports fans are very, very passionate about these teams. And I'm sure that that was brought out, you know, when you were playing there, you could just kind of tell just how much they loved these teams. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, there's no doubt. I mean, you could tell if the, if the teams are winning, you can feel the vibe in the city. And if we're losing, you can feel that too. And it's sucked. <laughs> yeah. I've been part of two last-place teams yep. and five first-place teams. So it's like you can tell, like, the huge shift from 13, where it was way up here, 14. Way down 15, here. And then it's like 16. We came back around. It's like, wow. Like, it is just like completely different but that's what makes it exciting yeah that is that is super cool and that's why that's why it's a great you know fan base to be a part of too because everyone loves the teams just as much as i do and it's just so invested you know what i mean in the teams and that's that's got to be cool for a player just knowing how you know supportive everyone is and just how much they love watching the team play yeah i mean you could tell who the passionate fans are that aren't just the average i'm coming to boston i'm going to a fenway game like yeah majority i would say over 50%, if not more, of people that are, are at Red Sox games are diehards. And then the yeah, other, the, the other tourists, like right? The other tourists. Like if you go to if you go to Boston, you gotta go to you gotta go to Fenway. Yeah. Right? You like, can't that's know. the tourist attraction, right? 
But for the half that stadium, they're like, especially in right field. Diehard fans. Oh, yeah. those are the diehards. Because <laughs> those are the only tickets they can afford because they're like 250 bucks. Yeah. No, it's true. It's so, no, it is actually so true, though. Like, those, yeah, it is. those are like the go to seats. You have, I mean, it's the only ones you can get for reasonable. Then you got to charge 30 bucks to get a beer. It's like, yeah, God, it's ridiculous. Man, you get a Fenway dog for $8. You can go to 7 Eleven across the street and get it for 99 cents. It's so, so <laughs> true, though. Yeah. When getting beer there, I'm like, I could literally get a six pack of this same thing for cheaper at a package store right now. Oh, 100%. It's crazy. But, you know, that's the experience. People know when you go you're gonna spend five hundred dollars on yeah. food <laughs> exactly i mean but it's there's nothing like being at a game though it's just it's just so fun being there in person you know and it's just totally, it's just yeah. so cool no i um, agree i mean even being as a player i mean i gotta make my i made my major league debut there and it's like yeah. that's the coolest thing ever is like fenway park like the oldest ballpark in america probably in the world it's got to be up there at least i don't know like what the data is on that but dude you can't you can't script a major league debut except for the weather. The weather was normal April weather in Boston, but yeah. which yeah, how bad. No, it was brutal, but you're in the big leagues. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if you're playing in a city like that, you have to be prepared for that type of weather to just be there too. Because that's oh, just the day before cool. it was sixty eight yeah. and sunny and then I wake <laughs> up and it was twenty five and snowing. That sounds right. Yeah, that's yeah. Exactly <laughs> it was a typical right. that is exactly what that's exactly weather. what New England weather is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To a T that, that sums it up. For sure. yeah. How do you, how are you able to kind of block out distractions from, you know, fans or anything else going on in the stadium? Like while you're on the pitchers now. Honestly, like when you're on the mound, like you don't hear anything, like you get so focused and locked in and like, you know, it's, you definitely hear the cheers, you know, but that kind of gets you revved up, but you got to understand when you're pitching, like you can't let outside noise whether it's the outcome of the game whether it's the whatever the situation is it doesn't matter especially for a knuckleballer i got one job to do and that is to throw a quality knuckleball yeah like so for me like all of that like you hear it but you just over the years of pitching you learn to it doesn't matter like you do good or bad i don't hear nothing so you can scream and yell at me it doesn't bother me because i don't hear it like it kind of is like in here what the out the other because my focus is on the job that I need to do every pitch, you know? And so that's, so pitching, but you definitely feel the excitement in Boston, but it doesn't matter whether you're in Boston or New York or LA, Chicago, it doesn't matter to me. Like, because to me, it's still 60 feet, six inches. Like I still got that guy's trying to crush me and I'm trying to get him out. So that's my focus. And yeah. so everything else is just kind of background there. noise. Yeah. It's background noise. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you just kind of drown everything out. Cause you're just hundred percent. You're the mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to, cause you yeah. know, cause like you have to be so focused during a game. hundred percent. Cause the moment you lose focus, that's when you lose, you know, that's when you give up a home run and you're still going to give up home runs. Right. Even if you're focused and you're locked in, but it's just, it's all about percentages, right? Like if, if it's the game's already hard enough. So why am I going to let outside distractions affect me? when it's nothing but between the ears that it's going to affect. And that is what's going to get me over the hump or it's going to keep me steady. Uh, but the moment you let all that other stuff come in, it's very, it's very tough to zone it back in. 
Yeah. And, and baseball very much is the type of sport where if you lose focus, um, you know, that can affect everybody. Totally. And that's kind of, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's just so, it's cra- just crazy. Just how focused you have to be for the entirety of that nine innings. Yeah. It's and that, but that's, I mean, but that's all sports, you know, like that's even, that's yeah. even with football. That's with, because if you look at like football, right? Like you got you, you one time, if a lineman all of a sudden like just screws up one time that can affect the outcome of the game, mm-hmm. you know, he sacks quarterback, quarterback fumbles, you know, so there's a lot of scenarios and that's what makes teams great, right? Like there's a lot of good teams, but what makes a team great is everybody has a job. They stick to their job, trusting that the guy behind him or the guy next to him is going to do their job. Right. So as long as you know what your job is, you do your job and everybody has that same mentality, that's going to help collectively move as a group and as a unit. And then once you can move as a unit and then you can start making things happen. Look at all those Patriots teams. Right. Like Tom Brady became Tom Brady because Tom Brady's really freaking good. But he also had an unbelievable front line. Exactly. Unbelievable receivers. Yes. Over the years, he made them even better. But the reason that he became Tom Brady is because of the people that were around him. He did his job better than anybody else. But the only way he could do his job is if everybody else around him did their job. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's so true. Same thing with, with Jordan, with LeBron, with Kobe. Those guys are unbelievable athletes. But you don't win champ. You can win games and MVPs and all this stuff. You can't win championships if you don't have a team, right? Yeah. The team has to, you can, one guy can't do everything. I don't basketball, maybe a little bit, but even then, like if you don't have a supporting cast that's, that knows their role and can consistently do their role, you're not going to win championships. It's not going to happen. You need everybody in baseball. You need one to 25, because if you look at 18, who is our world series MVP? Yeah. I mean, it's in those situations, I feel like it's like you can't like sometimes it's the players that you don't expect them to be like like Steve Pierce, for example. Like, you know what I mean? Like you bring him in. If you think about it, like I talk to Steve Pierce uh, almost every day. Right. He is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. But why did we trade for him? We needed a bat off the bench. We need somebody to come in late in the game to pick up JD, to pick up guys that needed some time off. But he had he was experienced. This is where the Red Sox are good because they went after experience, right? He was a you know eight nine year vet. He had a lot of experience playing in the East because he played for all the teams in the AL East, and he was an experienced bat off the bench, right? Did anybody ever think he was going to become that? No. We knew all knew he was good enough to do that. But yeah. we, everybody was expecting Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez or Bogey or Devers to go off or somebody that everybody was expecting. Next thing you know, freaking Piercy comes out, and all of a sudden he starts waffling balls out of the stadium. And okay, you're, but, that's what it takes, but that's what it takes to win, right? It takes Chris Sale come, having a messed up shoulder at the time but saying, you know what, I might not be able to start, but I could pitch one inning. Now all of a sudden, boom, we got another closer. Right. Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden Rick Purcello, right? I go down because of my knee. And next thing you know, Rick, they're like, hey, we need you to go to the bullpen. You got it. Rick's never thrown out of the bullpen since his rookie year. 
right? But he knew that's what it needs to do for us to win. He was able to swallow. He's the most professional player I've ever played with because not just because of that, but same thing with Evoldi, right? Evoldi was supposed to start. We need him out of the pen. He goes friggin' nine innings or whatever the hell he threw. I mean, we we the thing is, is people don't understand. Yes, we lost that game, but we won that series because of Nathan Evoldi. Because Nathan Evoldi picked up enough innings to where all of our bullpen guys were going to be fresh enough for the next day. We didn't have to use eight, nine guys that are in roles that they're not used to using. Right? Yeah. Like you can't go out there and throw a Craig Kimbrough for two innings. You know, maybe once, but you can't do that, right? You can't have guys go out there and all of a sudden they're used to throwing one, two innings. Now they're going three or four innings. Nate, he could throw 120 pitches, and he did. And that's and it's not so much about what happens now. It's what happens now is going to affect what happens tomorrow, and that's why we won. It's things like that with guys that you just don't expect – because everybody expects, you know, Mookie and Trout and these guys to go out. But that's what the other team is expecting, too. So those yeah. are the guys that they're careful with because you can't let the big, big guys beat you. You need a Pierce. You need guys off the bench to come up and step up. And when they do, teams win championships. Yeah, that was just so unexpected. I, I kept saying, where did this come from? But that's so true, though, because it's guys like that who people don't expect if they can step up in those big situations and, um, you know, assume those types of roles, then those, those are what make really good teams. And that's, 100%. that was, you know, that was a huge part of that world series. Yeah, totally. I, I was so happy for him. I was like, who would have yeah. who would have thought before this series that, you know, he would end up being the one that ended up doing what he did. You know what I mean? Oh dude, it's so exciting. I mean, I think it's the coolest thing ever because it's like, you know, you know, he got 10 years. He finally got a World Series and an MVP. This is so what, a, cool. what a good way to go out. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, you think about his entire career, he was a role player. He yes. was very good at what he did, but he was hard. I don't even think he was ever an everyday player. And then all of a sudden he got an opportunity to do it and he did it. Yeah, he stepped up when he needed to yeah, step up. He did. He needed somebody I mean, to be to be huge, and it was him. And it was just it was really, really cool to watch him in that series. Really, and cool. he's a great guy. I love that guy. I mean, I literally talk to him almost every day. So he's really? he's an awesome dude. He's very humble, and you know, that's those are those are the guys that you root for as far as you know teammates because you know that the type of person he is. It's he's not going to let it go to his head. Yeah, which is that which is th those are the types of people that you know you like that you want to keep rooting for. Totally. What what is that feeling like of being part of a World Series team? Like that feeling of winning the World Series. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, cuz you know, it, everything is like a blur, you know, like you enjoy right. it. For me, I was definitely frustrated because I was supposed to be a big part of that team. Yeah. And then just my knee, just with the rehab stuff I was doing, I mean, just there's a lot of things we just didn't know because nobody had really had that surgery. Um, and so it just, it sucked because I wanted to be a part of it, but it was fun because I know that I was a part to get to the playoffs and, but just to be there and just to celebrate, cause I wasn't there in 13. So I was on the team, but I, I got sent home cause I, I wasn't going to be a part of that team. I and mean, we had veterans galore on that team. Uh, but this team, the 18 team was like, it was just such a good group, you know, with having Alex kind of be the leader and just how like unorthodox things that he did at the time. And you're like, man, like, why would he like, 
you know, we never had a shag. Bullpen guys never shag, right? Which is like completely not normal, right? Yeah. Save your legs for the game. Why stand? And at the time, you're like, God dang, that makes sense. Like yeah. you got these bullpen guys. Like if you think we go out there, we play catch, we work out, we do our stuff, and then we got to stand around for two hours to shag, to go inside, to have enough time to maybe shower, grab a bite to eat, sit down for a cut, co- and then you got to go out like you're on your feet all the time every single day. Save your legs, go inside. And it's like, wow, that makes sense. You know, it's stuff like that to where now teams are more likely to do that. But at the time, nobody was doing that. We, I mean, it, it, but that's, that's Alex, right? Like he was always thinking about because he knew what it was like to be a player. Get what you need. Don't get more. Don't get less. Get what you need on whatever you need. We'll do it. And then we'll move on. And, and so that, but being part of that team was like, dude, it was, that party we had after that was crazy too. I'm sure it probably was. Yeah. You gotta look at the you gotta look up the bar tab. <laughs> I'm so curious. That, that, look that, it up. <laughs> I can't even imagine. My God. Just type in Red Sox LA uh, uh, bar bill. It was six 20, figures in 2018. Oh my gosh! It was over a half a million. <laughs> wow. You guys know how to have fun. <laughs> that is awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. yeah, that year was just so fun in general, though, because the Red Sox yeah. just won so much that it was just so fun to watch. It wasn't – we didn't know how to lose. Yeah, we really didn't. Like, we had games that were like – we had no no reason. I had a, We had a game – I'll never forget it because I wasn't supposed to be a starter. So going into that year, I had my knee issues coming mm-hmm. back, and all I was supposed to do was just relieve. Two innings, three innings max, depending on how the first two went. And Because it, it's the up and downs. It wasn't the pitching. It was the up and downs that were that I wasn't accustomed to doing because my leg just wasn't – it wasn't 100%, but it was good enough to pitch, and especially out of the bullpen. Well, then I ended up having to start. So then I had like three starts in a row of shutout, but my knee was like, I was kept telling them, like, man, I don't know if my knee can do this. I don't know if I can. And then I had a game in Boston against Seattle, and I had just pitched against Seattle my previous start and went, I think, like, I went into the seventh inning with no runs, but it just wasn't feeling good at all. And I think I gave up, God, I went like four in the third innings, and I think I gave up like 10 runs. Yeah, I think I kind of. It was something that. crazy, like <laughs> nine or 10, 11 runs. And I got a new decision. I came out, we were down like 11 to two or 11 to one. No decision. I'm like, oh my God. Like we had no reason to win that game at all. I thought I was pissed off because I came out in the fifth. I was like, I don't give a crap if I gave up 12 runs. If I go. Oh, sorry, my thing cut off. But, yeah, so, like, you know, I just – whenever – if you give up runs, just go deep into a game. You know, it's like at least it's it's not a win, but it's not a loss either because it's like you got to think about your bullpen, right? Yeah. So, it's like you don't want to come out in the second or third inning because now your bullpen's got to pick up all these extra innings. So, if I give up runs, it's like, yeah, it sucks. I don't want to give up runs. But if I give up freaking eight runs, but if I go seven innings, yeah, I'm pissed off I gave up the eight runs, but I went seven innings. 
Yeah, so you saved your whole kid. You only got to pick up one inning. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's like, and that's, but anyways, back to your point, like all of a sudden, like I'm looking up at the scoreboard and it's the seventh inning. We're down by two. We're like, I was like, holy crap. I was like, we might win this freaking game. And then all of a sudden, like, we tied it up, and I was like, wow, like, spit that hook out. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was, that team was so just relentless and unbelievable. Oh, it was crazy, man. Watch. Yeah, there, 118 <laughs> wins or something like that. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. I, yeah. I just, I, it was so nice just seeing wins pretty much every night on my TV. Dude, we didn't lose. Like, we didn't know how to lose. I, I, and it's going to be tough to ever get a team like that collectively yeah. because we had guys that came up for, like, a week or a couple days that made a huge impact, right? And it's just, like, it just wasn't their time to stay, right? Like, you know, we had guys that would come up and you're like, man, like, if if we didn't have Mookie in right field, Jackie in center, and Ben Attendee in left, you might have a chance. <laughs> Yeah, really, though. It's so you know, I mean, What are you going to do? I mean, that's the thing about baseball or any sports. Like, there's so many guys that are just as good. But if there's nowhere to go, like, like look at all the guys that came up in the minor leagues for the, for the Yankees for 22 years as yeah. a shortstop. Guess what they had to do? They had to learn how to play second and third and then first or outfield. Because they're, they're not – Dude, they're not playing over Derek Jeter. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at all the times with the with the Red Sox with with Petey over at second. Like, I'm sorry, like Dustin Pedroia, I would put him over anybody else ever at second base for me. If I want somebody behind my, I want to pick him. Right? Yeah. That's just that's reality, right? So it's like it sucks because I'm sure there's guys that, if given the same opportunity that Petey earned. When he came up, they might be the next Dustin Pedroia. Wrong, wrong. You're just in the wrong spot. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Just kind of the wrong team at that at that time because yeah. you're not going to be able to play that position at that time. So you if either you do, have to yeah, off. if you do, you're not going to play often to show what you can do, and that that is what makes playing at the big league level or getting to the big leagues hard. But once you get there, it's harder to stay. There's a lot of guys that have made it to the big leagues, but not a lot of people that have made it past one year, let alone get to 10. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, that's such a good point because sometimes people don't think about that. It's like, yeah, this player is super talented and could be really, really good at this position. But if they already have somebody who's there that is, you know, their guy at that position, then it's like, then what does that player do? I mean, their best option is to probably go to another team or try yeah. to, Find another position yeah, that they can either find another position or you go to another organization that, that you have an opportunity to do. And that's yeah. what it's like, you know, that's what is nice about some of these bad organizations is it gives guys more of an opportunity to play at the big league level. But it sucks because they're never gonna win. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a it's like a catch twenty two. Like you want to make it to the big leagues, which is great because that's everybody's dream and goal, but you also want to win. And if you win, that means you're going to play and be better because you're going to – every game you go out there, you're playing for something. But if you're a team like last year, like the Pirates, which I love everybody on that team. I loved everybody in the organization. They're all extremely nice. But when you're 30 games out of first place halfway through the season, like it's really tough to go and, and, and play unless you're a rookie. Because now you're like, wow, I'm playing just to get experience, right? And it's just, it's not that you can't do that, but it's really hard mentally 
to get up every single game knowing that it's like I'm just playing for myself now. Yeah, I see what you mean, because it's like our team is clearly not going to win anything this year. So we're just yeah. kind of playing these games, just kind of going through the motion. When they start making moves, it's like, well, I guess we're not going to win next year either. It's like, <laughs> And especially if you're a veteran, because like you said, with the rookie, to get experience is good. But if you're a veteran who's been in the league for a while and you're on a team like that, then what are you playing for? No, you're know? I mean, just playing to hopefully, you know, for me, I did it. One, I didn't have many options. And yeah. two... I just needed to show that I was healthy, that I could pitch. And that was an organization that, you know, Ben Sherrington's awesome. I love Ben. Like Ben, he traded for me with the Indians to the Red Sox. And then he signed me with the Pirates. And so like he definitely gave me a lot of opportunities that nobody else was going to give me. Uh, but yeah, it's just tough. He's in a tough spot. You know, you go from the budget of the Red Sox to the budget of the Pirates. Like it's just, it, 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 you really have to try to figure out how to do that. And it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. I think that they can do it because some of the guys that I played with in the minor leagues, like they're going to be pretty good. Like he, Brian Hayes, like I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I mean, Hall of Famer might be a little far-fetched because he's only got like a year in the league. He's going to be a gold glover. He's going to be all-star if he can stay healthy because like he reminds me of like a bogey. Like, you know, a guy that you're just like, he can pretty much do anything. He can hit it to right field. He can hit it to left field. His glove is amazing. He's got a good arm. He's pretty quick. Um, but he's with the Pirates. <laughs> well, that's, all, that's what I mean. There's always that but. that you Yeah, know, there is. I mean, if he was with the Red Sox, I mean, obviously they got Devers. But, I mean, honestly, like I take Keith Bryan over Devers. Really? You know, Devers is un- unbelievable. Um, and Devers is – since the first year I played with him until now, he's a completely different player, um, and he's unbelievable. But if I had to pick those two, I would go with Key Bryan. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And then for somebody like him, it would be nice for him to be there because at least with the Red Sox, he knows that, like we talked about before, that he can you know, be on a competitive team there that has a chance at a World Series run. Yeah, the hardest thing I would say in playing in Boston is can you handle the pressure? Because there's no pressure playing in Pittsburgh. Yeah, because there's no expectations. Like Oakland, there's no pressure, right? Like you go to some of these other teams, like, you know, even if you're winning, like the pressure is not like it is in Boston. Like there's no – Philly is the – I heard Philly is probably the closest to the pressure of the sports than than Boston. And so it's like you – it's win. Like win now. Like we should have won. Like everything. Oh, we should have won. We should have won. It's like – if you go to Anaheim, it's like they care about the experience of the fans. In Boston, it's about winning, the team winning. Who gives a shit about they have a bounce house in right field? Right? <laughs> yeah. Think about yeah. it. Like, look no, at so so other teams. It's all about the fan experience, not the game. Yeah, in Boston, everyone's, everyone's so – the expectations are really high. The expectations are that the team is winning. Yeah. They made something great for little kids. It's like, okay, send them to Wally's World down in right field. Other than that, it's baseball. Yeah, and and you don't get that in every city. No, you don't get it anywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, Baltimore is kind of like that, but they're kind of going off the side. Honestly, I don't know. Even Yankee Stadium is not like the new one. Like, it's not like that. Not like it yeah. was at the old stadium, you know. So, it's like in that – L.A. Dodgers is probably the, the – is the next. The Dodgers okay. is like that. The Dodgers, it's about baseball. That's why you're there. You're there to watch a team win, and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I went to a Dodgers game once at Dodger Stadium, and it and was you, like, and you survived? 
fairly. Yeah, that place is crazy. <laughs> my friend, yeah, I remember my friend got like beer spilled all over her uh, oh, when yeah. we first got when we first walked in. She had just bought it, and that was like my first memory of Dodger Stadium. Yeah, people people get beat up all the time just because they're in Raider fans. I don't think I, I think I've only met like one or two Raiders fans in my life. Oh, you would know. <laughs> you know right away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's kind of like Cowboys fans are like that too. I feel yeah, like America's team, right? Yeah, you know yeah. right away that they yeah. like Cowboys fans too. So much pride for a team that doesn't win. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> a team that like consistently like fails in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, if they make the playoffs, um, but maybe but- next year. <laughs> Next year is our year. Yeah. <laughs> every 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 single year. year. The next year is our year. It's like all right. Yeah, we'll we'll see, Cowboys fans. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. One of these days, get Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman back, and then you might have a chance. Yeah. Right. Other than that, probably not. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I really appreciate you joining me on the show. I think this was great. Um, I hope everybody you know enjoyed it. I hope we get a baseball season this year to start with. Yeah. Um, and if we do get it, I hope it starts relatively on time. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I know. I haven't. I honestly haven't even been paying attention. I think the owners are just greedy. Yeah. Honestly, like people always talk about players being greedy. It's the owners. Like they want to make as much money as they can. They're business people. They want profit margins. They don't want to pay somebody what they're worth. You know, and that's what I tell people about baseball. Uh, you know, in general, like these guys are smart. Like they're not going to pay somebody $40 million a year if they're going to lose money. Right. So they're going to win, but they want profit margins. They're going to try to keep as much money of themselves from the TV deals, advertisements. They don't want to pay the players because they want their profit margins to be bigger because that's going to bring their net worth up. And it's like, you got to put the money back in the players. The players are the product, right? Like that's, who's going to play. That's who's going to bring more wins. But when you got half the league that doesn't care, about winning it's those owners are running it like it's a business it is a business right like you see the owners need to make money like there's no way around it right but like when you got guys like like the owner of the Mets or a Cohen or you got John Henry and you got the Dodgers right with the Magic Johnson and those guys over there like they're showing that if you spend money it's going to come back Right. As long as you know what you're doing, what you're spending on. And you got to be within reason. Right. But when they start making these competitive balance taxes, but then they don't need that money doesn't go back to the players. It goes to the organization. It's like, that's great. You should do that already. But the whole point of a competitive balance tax is to make you competitive. Right. And when you got teams like the Marlins and the and the Pirates and you got some of these teams that they're not even spending money in free agency on anybody. Like it doesn't have to you don't have to go out and sign a 20 million dollar year guy, but you could take that 20 million and give it to five guys. Well, now all of a sudden you got maybe a front of line starter, right? Or you maybe got a back in the bullpen or maybe you got a power hitter, right? But they don't care. They go younger because it's cheaper. And they and then all of a sudden it's like, well, the players agree because we're holding out to get an extra $2 million. We got a window this big to make as much money as we can, right? And you, yes, you don't want to be greedy, right? But at the end of the day, like you got to go with what is your worth is for the team and how much money am I going to make that owner? So it's like that's how you dictate on how much a guy should get paid. Because if a Max Scherzer goes out there, everybody's coming to see Max Scherzer. Everybody's coming to see Garrett Cole. Everybody's coming to see Trout and Mookie and these guys. That's who they're coming to see, right? So they should get paid off of what they bring to the table, which is sellout crowds, right? So that means that the owner, like he's going to pay off that contract in the first year, the whole contract, the three years is going to get paid off in one year because of what the profit margins are coming from. Because now TV deals are going to go up. Advertisement deals are going to go up. Everything's going to go up. 
And so it's like when you got these owners that are sitting here nickel and diamond everything, but then the players get a bad rep because we're trying to hold off for our rights. And then we look bad, but nobody ever talks about the owners. Like those are the guys that are the greedy ones. They're the ones that are holding out because they got the best lawyers, the best union lawyers, best all these union law lawyers. And that's all they're doing is figuring out a way to freaking screw everybody else to make them more money. It's, it's, it's what they're supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. what they're supposed to do. But then on our side, our job is to protect our rights. And that's why you're in a lockout is because we okay. had a terrible deal this past five years and they can't do another deal like that because it's just going to, it's going to make baseball worse. And it, it, everything that guys before us fought for and struck for, you know, all the way back to the seventies with free agency and minor league free agency and all these things, like we're losing all of that. So these guys sacrificed everything and now we're starting to just go back to square one like we never did it before. And it's all for one thing. It's all money. Yep. You know, but the question is, who's greedy? The guys that are billionaires already, that it's like they don't want to pay to win. They'd rather just sit there up in their high horse and their freaking suites and bring all their business guys in and just collect their checks. They don't care about winning because it's a write-off for them. Yeah. No, that that is, that is so true. And that's the unfortunate part because it's like what – how do they come to an agreement on anything? Because I, you're right. It, the owners are definitely greedy and they just don't want to, you know, they don't want to give in, but it's. They don't. And, and the players can't. Cause at the end of the day, yeah. the only way the owners are going to make money is from the players. So the yeah. players got to understand that as, and it sucks because there's, you've seen it right now with a lot of guys that are retiring, right? They're retiring one. Cause they're probably over it you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, there's a lot of reasons why guys just retire. Right. But there's no end in sight and there shouldn't be like until the players get what they want, because at the end of the day, the players have all the power because they're the product. Yeah. They're the, they're the ones that are get, making these owners money. If it, well, yeah. If it wasn't for the players, but you need guys like Mookie and Trout and these guys that are making 40 million or 30 million, they got to be willing to walk away from everything to gain something. Right. Like you can't you got to be willing to not get paid for the benefit of the game in a whole. But that's the thing is you got it's just like it's just like society. Right. You got the high you got the high net worth individuals and then you got the low crowds and you get the the people in the middle the ones that are fucked. Right. Those are the people that get screwed. And so it's like so the people down here, they want the money from the top money on top want to stay there. So they don't want to pay anybody on the bottom. But it's the people in the middle, right, that are like the four, you know, two, three, four year guys in the league. Those are the guys that get screwed because we need they need to hold out because those guys deserve to get paid more. Right. People don't understand when you sign a minor league deal, when you get drafted, if you go all your minor league contract and your major league contract, when you first get there, the team has your rights for, for 12 years before you get a chance to get paid. That's before arbitration. And uh, yeah. free agent, or sorry, free agency. You get through arbitration and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like they'll sit there and they'll call. I missed Super Two by like twenty days. I didn't know, but I was up and down so much. But teams are doing that. They're figuring out ways to manipulate the time card so they don't have to pay you. So it's like they need to bring up the minimum. It's like, dude, why, why, and bring shorten the, the free agency to five years, in my opinion, and up the 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 minimum one, two, three million. Why not? They can afford it. 
you know, yeah. and it's going to make people want to stick around and play. Like there's guys that I know they were way better than me, but they couldn't afford it because now they're in the minor leagues making $10,000 a year. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I go on for hours about that, but it, it yeah, is frustrating yeah. because at the end of the day, the fans want a season. The fans deserve a season, but they deserve a competitive season yeah. from one to 30, not top five. It's true. It's so true. And that's why it's so frustrating. And I just hope that they can figure out something soon and that the owners can kind of just, you know, stop being so greedy and just come up with a fair deal that works for both sides. Yeah. And that's the thing. The hardest thing is what's fair, right? Like everybody's definition of what's fair is different. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and that's where you just do percentages, right? Like you figure out, Whatever the revenue sharing is or the balance taxes, all that is 50-50, but they need to reach it's all about the wording. That's one thing that I realized with contracts and stuff, it's the wording, right? So if you're gonna have a competitive balance tax, like that money needs to be clarified that that needs to go to players, like not to the organization, not to boost your spring training facility or your low A team. That money needs to go back into players because you need to make your team on the field competitive. That's yeah. the whole point of the kid. There ain't no do it as good faith, right? There ain't no good faith when it comes to business. Anybody that ever thinks you're working in good faith is an idiot. It does not know how to use contractual, like how to do a contract. Because you can say, oh, good faith. The handshake, unfortunately, handshakes don't work no more. That that whole respect the handshake is gone in society, right? It's just you got to get it in writing and you got to specify to the freaking T where that money needs to go. And yes. that's the only way you're going to get things to, to where the game needs to shift to where everybody has a chance to win or give them an incentive to win, right? Yeah, some reason to, you know, really want to go out there and try to win games and be successful. Yeah, because if a team on the bottom, they get the highest percentage of the revenue, they get the highest percentage of the competitive balance tax. So what's their incentive to become – because the top 15 teams don't get nothing. So yeah. why would you want – if you're not going to win the whole thing, why win? Because that means you're going to get money taken out of your pocket that's because true. it's not coming from the league down. That's so true, though. Yeah, that's so true. Because then what's the what's even the point? What's the incentive thing? to win? Because if I win, but maybe I'm good, but we're not, you know, we're not the Boston Red Sox of 18. Like that's who we got to play with. We can't compete against them. So why are we going to try to go out there to be number ten? Yeah, and yeah, I see what you're we saying. We can be number twenty-eight, and we can get the biggest check. So now that's going to offset our payroll. So now we don't have to dip into our pockets anymore than we have to because now all of a sudden our, our $35 million has gone down to $10 million because of all this money we're getting from MLB as revenue sharing because we're the low of the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's such a good point. And, and being able to give those incentives would just make it more competitive for every team. And 100%. it would just be more fun for people to watch no matter what team it is. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, yeah, I, I just hope something gets done soon because this is just ridiculous and everybody wants baseball. I mean, I know people on Twitter are dying without baseball um, or any news to even talk about related to it. So I just really hope that this can get figured out soon because I, I yeah. definitely hope that we don't end up in a situation where there is no season because that would just be sad. Especially, um, you know, with what happened two years ago. I mean, even with last year kind of being a little weird at the beginning, I'm glad everything kind of got squared away at the, at the end for the playoffs and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you can't – the baseball can't afford to not have another season. But at the end of the day, like, is that – just because we need a season for the fans, is that enough for the union to sacrifice 
the rights that the players deserve to be protected for the fans. The fans make the game. Let's make that clear. The fans make the game. But the only way the fans are going to get what they deserve, which is competitive games every single day, is unfortunately is where we're at right now. Like this has to be figured out to where it's fair, but equally fair for both sides because everybody wants to make money. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You don't go into business to lose money. And that is on both sides. So the owners need to make their money. I'm all about them making their money. Like they're the ones taking a lot of the risk because they're the ones cutting the checks, right? They're the owners, they're the CEOs. If they screw up, everybody loses a job, right? But at yeah. the end of the day, you got to pay the product, right? The product is what's on the field, right? And so that's, and so as long as it's fair and understanding that you're going to have to do give and take on both sides, but it's got to be an equal give and take, mm-hmm. then it's going to be a lot and more entertaining for fans to be able to go. That's what's going to get fans in. Like that's what's going to get more people drawn into the game, knowing that everybody's going to be competitive. Yeah, no, I, t- I completely agree with you a hundred percent on that. And that would just make the game so much better in general for people. Yeah. And it, it, this whole situation is honestly just so unfortunate. It um, is, but it, you know, it's part, it's part of the sports it, baseball, yeah. football, basketball, everybody goes through it. You know, and yes. it sucks. It sucks as a fan, but you know, it, it just know, and I hope that all the fans understand that it's a necessity to make the product on the field better for the fans. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. definitely see what you And it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard to understand because you start looking at these people that are all millionaires, and these guys are all filthy rich. It's like, oh, they want more. Everybody talks about the money, but it's not always about the money. It's about contractual contracts that are going to protect our livelihood and our ability to pursue and continue to pursue being a baseball player or just the organization and a business as a whole. It's not about the dollar. It's just about the equality. That's all it is, is making sure it's equal for everybody to, if you work hard and you do right, you get paid and it should be quicker. Like, you know, so there's a lot of things that it's not just about money. And that's what people got to understand. It's not, oh, you know, Trout needs to get another five million. I think he deserves it because he's freaking unbelievable. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's not about that. It's making sure that the guy at the bottom of the barrel is getting his fair share of being paid for what he's able to bring to the table. And you should get paid for what you bring to the table. You don't get paid just to get paid because it's everybody deserves the same thing. No, it's not that. It's not socialism, right? We don't all get what, if you work your ass off, you should get paid for that. Yeah. Simple as that. And that's how it needs to be from the bottom all the way up. It's just the discrepancy between the guys at the bottom and the guys at the top is $42.5 million. Yeah. So there's guys that are making more in one year that teams are paying for an entire team. And one guy's getting it. So that shows you that there's money there. We just got to get the owners to, to, to reach a little bit further down. Yeah, no, exactly. No, that's a really good way of putting it too. And and I, I 100% agree. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it is what it is, I guess. But we'll, yeah, see, how, we'll see what happens and we'll see what yeah. they end up coming up with or working out, yeah. if, uh, which hopefully will be soon. Hopefully, uh, we'll see. But, I'm not going to hold my breath, but. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm definitely yeah. not either. Sure I'm just, having me on, though. This was fun. 
Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. This was a great time. And I hope everyone yeah. enjoyed it. I hope everyone has a great rest of the week. Always appreciate the support and people tuning in. I'll definitely have to get you on again at some point also. Absolutely, yeah, we'll do it again. Uh, go Red Sox. It was the most important thing I have to add at the end here. Um, yeah. Best team in baseball. Um, and I hope everyone, uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a great rest of the week and I'll talk to you all next time.